Welcome to the Open Doors Initiative podcast. My name is Jan McDonough. We work with companies, NGOs and government to create employability for marginalised groups. These include people with disabilities, migrants and disadvantaged youth. You can visit us at opendoorsinitiative.ie. This series looks at mental health and employment and is produced in conjunction with the Community Foundation and Bank of Ireland. In this episode, I spoke with Chuvangi Karamakar about her work as a researcher, advocate, educator and journalist. Hi, I'm Chuvangi. I'm 23 and I'm a final year medicine and master's student and researcher in Trinity in Dublin. I'm a reviewer for the Journal of Medical Ethics and the editor-in-chief of the Trinity Student Scientific Review. I'm one of the vice presidents of the Association of Medical Students in Ireland a science and technology journalist with the Business Post. And outside of that, I do some creative, educational and artistic work in the community. That's a, that's a huge workload and you're very yeah. busy, obviously. So how are you managing all of this? Um, so I suppose for me, it became much easier to manage things when I stopped trying to set what works for me by the norms of what works for other people. I mean, both through clinical medicine, there's, you know, there's almost this given idea of, oh, you're going to hate nights or in the general world, like, you know, if I'm seeking healthcare advice for my own mental health issues, it's all about, oh, but maybe if you just did less, you'd be happier or maybe you hold yourself to an unattainable standard. And a lot of that I find has worked incredibly to my detriment. Like, you know, I've taken shifts that just didn't work for me. Like early morning doesn't work for me. I have cut out therapy. I've cut out mental health supports because, oh, you shouldn't have that if you want to be a psychiatrist. And I found that that just doesn't work for me. I think for me, what works is being very occupied, but with a purpose. And I guess I have taken to over the last few years and particularly this year with the pandemic really critically evaluating what it is that I love to do you know what it is that I would willingly turn up for at 9 a.m and leave at 4 a.m in the morning and do more of that everything else you know we all have 10-15 minutes in the middle of our days when we're doing nothing or I don't know on the toilet everything else can be fitted into when you're on the toilet if it really has to be I found <laughs> but the things that really matter to you, the things that, that are really going to keep you going, you know, when, when push comes to shove at 2 to 3 a.m., that's what you really want to do. And I've just resolved to do more of that and make more of the time that I am functional and ask for more of the resources to be as functional as I want to be. Um, what resources? Can you give us some idea of what they are for you? Yeah, so I think... The most constructive resources in my life have been therapy, 100%. I mean, therapy is the bulk of the acknowledgements in the front of my master's paper, and for a very good reason. And I found that the times that I've chosen to go, on, go without therapy for, you know, a month, two months, six months, have been objectively the worst parts of my adult life. So therapy has been a non-negotiable even though the way it has been applied has changed over time to suit my needs. So firstly, therapy is really, really useful for me. 
And then secondly, I think appropriate interest matched mentorship. And that sounds like one of those things that's really hard to attain, but at least I found mentorship. Yeah, mentorship is really hard to find if you're just kind of going for, you know, this is the person I should be like, and that's who I'm going to be versus this is a person who is the same interest as me somewhat of the same sort of mental schema of working as me and I just want to be their friend and I think that kind of mentorship has absolutely changed my life I mean I was looking back on a message I got from my mentor two years ago when I was in a period of like a major depressive episode and a period of significant distress and at that point they said you know we all have our fears walk towards them you'll see what I mean someday and two years on I get where they're at because they've stuck with me through that time and they've fostered the slightly chaotic parts of me. They've fostered the parts of me that are, you know, hyper fixated or focused on special interests because they did that themselves and they had somebody to do it for them. So I think both of those things are really important. I know in common discourse around careers and living with disabilities, there is, you know, especially in Ireland, a cultural mythos of, you know, you, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I mean, this is a podcast. You are not going to be able to see that I am brown and a migrant and disabled and queer. But I never saw anybody like me when I started in advocacy or in academia or medicine. I moved to this country alone. And I think the only way I was able to carve out a path for me was definitely through people who believed in me because they were also slightly chaotic and I think having mentors who foster that you know and also in you not the yes but in you I think that's invaluable that's really interesting that's a really interesting perspective and it's a different take on mentoring it's 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 very valuable and I'm sure a lot of our participants will uh, really take that on board and especially the intersectionality piece because no one comes as a single unit. There's all yeah. these pieces to everyone uh-huh. and I th- that's what makes people interesting. Um, so it's yeah. it's a really interesting take on that. Um have you yeah. faced any issues as a result of your intersectionality or? I guess the issues have been numerous. I mean, I think it was only recently when I was, I think somebody invited us to write our entries for our virtual, you know, final med yearbook. They're like, what's your most memorable experience? I was like, I don't know. Is it the sexism and being told or is it the racism and being told, you know, if people have made openly horrible comments about sexual assault towards you that you're just not Irish you know you'll get that someday that's just our culture or is it the rampant ableism in a neurology ward which is precisely where you'd least expect it I don't know I've definitely faced those challenges but I guess again I've been very lucky I've I've not found mentors in the traditional sort of formal sense of sending off a letter and finding something back. And equally, when I match people with mentors now, it's very informal. I'm very lucky. I'm friends with a number of doctors from consultant to NCHD level around the world who care about being informally engaged with 
you know, other doctors as peers. So I've never had to, you know, write an email to be like, hi, I feel terrible, but this is who I am. And would you pretty please give me a place? It was more, this is what I do. Hi, we should hang out. <laughs> so I think that the salve for that, the salve for all of this discrimination or just a lot of the difficult experiences I've had due to marginalization has been people who provide great mentorship. And I think the best part is finding people who match with who you are as a person means it often transcends boundaries of marginalization because these are people who value you for just yourself. Not in a, you know, I don't see color race blind way, but just a, I see you. What can I do to help you overcome the effects that social marginalization is, ha is having on you? So some of my best mentors are, in fact, if you would believe it, white cis had able-bodied men. And that has its own benefits because I don't think I have ever been challenged as much or pushed as much as by them, because in some way they don't see societal barriers to doing big projects or doing big things. So I definitely have, you know, my mentor at the moment who's like, I will push you, I will push you to run this conference and I will push you to do this research. But because they have a degree of cultural competency, I think that's a great foil to people who are living with their own experience of marginalizations, but maybe are blind to other, exp other experiences. I think at the end of the day, mentorship with cultural competency that acknowledges that people can use their privilege and use their positions for benefit of the people who come after them. I think that's absolutely critical. And I suppose in some way, that is what I try to carry forward in my own work. Like I will, I've been very fortunate to accept some positions in governance and leadership and all sorts, but I don't think I would ever accept a position that would not be open to someone like me after me. Like I've been sent recruitment documentation from hedge funds in America who have said, you know, oh yes, this position is open to people from racial and sexual minorities like Blacks, Hispanics, LGBT people and disabled people and so on. I was like, so no Asian people, but specifically like no brown Asian people and no migrants. No, sorry, I can't take that. Like, I don't know what I would fulfill in that role that achieves a sustainable and long lasting change for the people that I would like to be able to step into that role after me, because diversity is pointless unless it's sustainable. So, yeah, I guess I've benefited from mentorship and alternative perspectives, which has been really, really helpful and encouraging to me. I happen to know you're very creative as well. And I'm just wondering, has that played a part in sort of your work journey, your life journey, your mental journey, all of those things? Or is it a result of it? Or you know, what way does that work for you? Yeah, so I think creativity has always been a part of my life, mainly because with the mental health challenges and neurodivergence I have, I have never not thought laterally. I think one of the oldest memories I have of me and my mom is my mum teaching me how to draw like, you know, a sun, like a circle with like lines around it. And I remember just drawing a circle, which was just like a spiral and then drawing lines around it being like, no, but this is how my friend taught me and it looks prettier. So meh. So I've, I think creativity has given me a skill that has been vital to me, I think, in adapting my skill set from that of, you know, a clinician who learns by rote learning 
to a researcher who goes away and asks the difficult questions and asks new and slightly tangential questions. So I think creativity has been absolutely vital. I mean, I remember even when I was growing up at home, you know, like I remember my dad coming up the stairs and being like, hi, are you completing your, you know, timed tests yet? And I just keep a piece of paper under the screen or under my notes where I'd just be scribbling stuff. And I've never been good at scribbling. I'm great at observational art. I've never been good at scribbling. But it's just something I would do as a distraction to keep my brain slightly connected to time, place, and person more than anything else. I found art is a way to absorb time without losing sight of it. And I am definitely a person who can feel like a minute lasts forever. And, you know, 10 minutes is nothing at all because I, my attention deficit just means I don't have sight of time. So art is a way for me to be completely absorbed in something for a certain amount of time and practice the iterative process I think I use in my degree and my career a lot. Like I see medicine, I see pretty much anything I've ever done research as an iterative process. You know, you try something, you see what works, you see what doesn't, and then you adjust it. And I feel like in art, you have to make those decisions so quickly. You have to make those decisions with every brushstroke and every piece of planning and every sketch. I think it's really helped me get, get into that adaptive mindset of, you know, accounting for the way I see the world, but still producing something that's coherent with other people's observations of the world. Um, I'm just wondering, I, I love the way you come at sort of all these issues or not issues, sort of ways of living or whatever. You have a really um, interesting approach to it. I think it's really healthy and beneficial. I was just wondering, is there anything you could suggest? We've talked about mentoring. We've talked about art. Okay. Is there anything you could suggest to people from other marginalized groups who are trying to get into work or who are working you know, to help them with their mental health? Yeah. So I think there are a number of things, and I think some of these things are directly the reason why I don't go into collective organizing like parties or grassroots groups, but, you know, they are what they are. So I think, firstly, I would say, if there is a means of accessing some kind of constructive cognitive analytical therapy or, you know, what's normally known as talk therapy, I think having a space and an anonymous reservoir essentially in your life where you can pour the shit that happens to you on a daily basis into the void and not be carrying it with you all the time. I think that's beneficial. I also want to be a psychiatrist, so I'm biased, but I have found that it has helped me deal with my life's challenges, which are extraordinary to most people's. Plus, I guess the work I want to do, which means, you know, carrying the load of a lot of people who are really struggling even more so than me so i think there's definitely a component of that that just requires i think I've, I've said this before to my friends but it's either getting a therapist or getting a pa and with an attention deficit you'd ideally have both so i think something like that is always useful to just reconceptualize what you have and then I think in terms of taking care of your mental health, I was actually speaking to a friend of mine who also lives with actually probably more significant disabilities than I do. 
and they were kind of talking about how they're facing challenges to their mental health now more so than ever because normal coping avenues are lost and like normally they would be way better at coping than I would be no doubt and I think it made me conceptualize that you know if we think about coping and my mentor actually Prof Kelly has a great book called Coping with Coronavirus which is like a book for charities that was written and people should actually read that it's like a euro um but yeah I think speaking to my friend made me realize that coping in the everyday is something we do by you know holding a little bit of all the stresses we have because that's a normal thing to do you know we hold our stress we hold our anger we hold our sadness then there is a lot of catharsis we cathar we cathart it into you know our daily activities our sport where we just get a bit angry working out whatever and then we sublimate it in the people we care about we talk to people we emote we bitch over a glass of wine whatever it happens to be at the moment I think it is reckoning with the fact that the normal avenues of catharsis aren't open to us you can't just go out into a club and just dance the night away I wish I could and you can't just hang out with your friends but I think once you can at least break it down into those three sort of working elements you might be able to find ways that specifically work for you and make time even if it is like in January I was abroad working um, on a site board in the UK and for me catharsis was doing a 10 minute 30 day workout that's all I had like whether I got home at 4 p.m in the afternoon or 4 a.m in the morning I would do my 10 minutes and work out that frustration out of my body but finding you know that 10 minutes for catharsis and maybe 10 to 20 to 30 minutes just to sublimate it with somebody ideally in a you know in a direct social conversational setting I think those are things that I've found helpful I mean I've certainly found it less and less helpful to try and do both my catharsis and sublimation on a large <laughs> Twitter account because I think in some respects the things that we're all going through are very private and if you live under marginalizations you know if you're not safe to come out if you're not safe to be who you are and say what you want then ideally, obviously, you know, say publicly whatever you feel you're comfortable with, but finding a space where you have people you can trust, whom you can talk to, who you know will talk back to you. I think that has been invaluable to me. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Difficult to find someone you trust, but worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And your insights, they're really, really uh, food for thought, really enjoyable. Um, thank you. That's not a problem. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And obviously, people can always find me on socials. If you want to chat, my DMs are open for a reason. To find out more about the work of the Open Doors Initiative, go to our website, opendoorsinitiative.ie or check us out on Twitter at Open Doors to Work and on LinkedIn. We look forward to hearing from you.